All right, well, welcome to our Wednesday evening service. What a blessing it is to be with you this evening. Tonight we're going to be looking at Genesis chapters 31 and 32. I titled this Returning to the Promised Land. And he's, I guess technically he makes it into the area of the promised land, but we have to wait till chapter 33 until he enters in fully. But he's making his journey there. Jacob, with his 11 sons, at least one daughter, four wives, and the wealth of male and female servants, plus the animals that he acquired while being away for 20 years. So returning to the promised land. And the one thing that really, going through this passage and preparing for this message tonight was just the time that God takes to work in an individual's life. For Jacob at this point, we are looking at a 20-year span when he had been gone from the promised land, gone from his parents, and coming back into the promised land. Uh, He left with a promise from God that he would be with him and care for him and watch over him and bring him back to the land. But now we discover that by the time we get through chapter 32, that Jacob will get a name changed. And Jacob will also physically find that his body will be altered. He'll no longer be able to run. Happens to a lot of us older guys. But uh, he would get to a place, I believe, Here in Genesis 32, he'll get to that place where he has to be totally dependent upon God. Even in these chapters, we find that Jacob continues to scheme a little bit, but he'll reach that place where he will be totally dependent upon God. And that's a place where we all need to reach. And for some of us, it might be a 20 plus year journey to get there. But the important thing is to get there. And I would say sooner better than later. Well, Jacob takes his time about it. We get to chapter 31. I titled this Mizpah, and I titled it from verse 49 that he called this. So verse 49 of chapter 31 says, also Mizpah, because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. And so I pulled this as a key verse because it's uh, something that has carried with me. I shared about it on Sunday as well. Uh, This beautiful verse, marketers have grabbed hold of it and they have taken these words and they've packaged it and they sold it to lovers across the world. It's something when I was 17 years old that I bought a pennant and a keychain. The pennant for Lily, I carried the keychain, but it had the verse written on the two halves and they were only complete when they were together. So in a sense, incomplete when we're separate, but complete when we're together. And it seems to be a very beautiful, romantic verse of Scripture, but it is far from the true meaning. Tonight, we get to have an understanding of the true meaning of Mizpah. So Jacob had been working for his uncle, father-in-law, Laban, for 20 years. The last six years... He had actually been working to earn his wages. 
his wealth. And he did this, as we learned last week, by taking all the brown lambs and the speckled, spotted, or streaked goats, the animals of the livestock, everything that was really the unwanted, he took as his wage. And we discover that over the last six years that Uncle Laban realized that things weren't working out so well for him, so he would actually switch Jacob's wages ten times, saying, all right, you got too many spotted. I'll take the spotted. You take the brown ones. I mean, he kept switching it up, and Jacob would say, you'd change my wages ten times. And yet during this time, God made Jacob exceedingly prosperous, according to Genesis 30, verse 43. Now, Jacob is worried that if he remains with uncle, father-in-law, Laban, I know it sounds strange to us, but he was worried if he remained with him that eventually Laban and his sons would strip away Jacob's children, his wealth, his wives, thus leaving him pretty much as he came, really having nothing when he came into the region 20 years earlier, except for the staff that he carried. He thought he should secure his wife, children, and wealth. Jacob realized that it's time to go, time to go home and to face whatever might be waiting for him there. And if you recall, his brother Esau had pledged to kill him as soon as dad had passed away. Now, dad was still living during this whole time. Dad remained alive because, well, he lived quite a while. And so it was not yet an issue. And neither would Esau become an issue for Jacob once he gets back to the promised land. We'll see a bit of that tonight. So we find in verses 1 through 16, I titled this little section, Whatever God Has Said, Do It. And this is something that it came from the counsel of Jacob's wives, Leah and Rachel, Whatever God says, do it. I think that's good counsel. Whatever God is speaking, well, then go after it and then do it. Well, we begin with verses 1 and 2. It says, Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's sons, saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has acquired all this wealth. And Jacob saw that the countenance of Laban And indeed, it was not favorable toward him as before. So there was this change. It was largely because Jacob became wealthy and Laban became poorer and poorer. I think he still had wealth. It's just Jacob's wealth exceeded the wealth of his father-in-law. And the source of Jacob's wealth came from his father-in-law in the sense that His wages came out of his father-in-law crops or animals, not the crops, but the animals. And so realizing that Laban no longer looked favorable toward him as he had in times past, perhaps pondering what he should do, we discover in verse 3 that the angel of the Lord spoke to him saying, Return to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be with you. Now, I'm not sure when the last time Jacob heard the Lord speak to him. 
I know that the Lord was watching over him during this time, and Jacob would testify of this in chapter 32. But we do know 20 years earlier that the Lord said, Go, and I will be with you, and I will bring you back to the land. Now he's saying, Return to the land, and I will be with you. All he needed to know is that God was with him. That was the promise that the Lord had gave him in Genesis 28:15, saying, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So in verses 4 through 9, just to save a little bit of time, I'm not going to read every single verse of these two chapters. You can thank me later on that one. But in verses 4 through 9, Jacob explains the situation to his wives. Over the last six years, as I had mentioned, Laban had changed Jacob's wages ten times. But thankfully, God had been watching over Jacob and would not allow Laban to bring any harm to him. Moreover, God revealed to Jacob through a dream how he had blessed him by increasing. Now, last week, uh, we closed out with Jacob as a sheep herder, as a shepherd with his lambs and his goats, how he had this breeding techniques. And we go through all of that where he had peeled back rods and took the healthy, which taking the healthy male and females and having them mate with one another, that just makes sense. But he was after the speckled and the spotted and the brown. And so he had all these breeding techniques. But actually, we learn that it was the Lord that had increased all the streaked, the speckled, the spotted animals. So it was God who was behind all this. God was giving him the increased as in verses 9 and 10, it says, So God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. And that happened at that time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream. And behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked, speckled, and gray spotted. And the Lord saying in verse 12, I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. In verse 13, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me, saying to him, return to the land of your father and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob is simply explaining these things to his wife. And up to this point, for the last 20 years, God has been fulfilling his promise towards Jacob. And the angel of the Lord reminds Jacob that the vow he has made, the one he had made at Bethel when he was leaving the promised land, now return to that place. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. And I think sometimes the Lord needs to remind us of the commitment that we made to him. And it could have been a year ago. It could have been 20 years ago, as it was for Jacob. But the Lord is reminding him of this commitment. And sometimes it's good to rehearse the path that the Lord has laid before us, the victories that he has given us in times past. I believe that by rehearsing those points in our lives, when we know that the Lord has worked in our behalf, 
It gives us courage to face the current circumstances of our lives. In Genesis 28, 18 through 22, we get that anointing at Bethel where it says Jacob rose early in the morning, took a stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, poured oil on top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. So somewhat sort of like a let's make a deal prayer. The Lord had spoken and said that he would be with him and that he would bring him back to the promised land. And notice Jacob's prayer. He didn't pray that if the Lord will be with me, keep me and make me really wealthy and bring me back to my father's house, then the Lord shall be my God. All he asked is that the Lord would give him bread to eat and clothing to put on his back. And the Lord did so much more than that. He gave him great wealth and wives and at least at this point, 11 sons and at least one daughter. So 11 sons we know and at least one daughter at this time. So the stone, he said, and we're back in Genesis 28, 22. This stone, which I've set up as a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you have given me, I will surely give a tenth to you. So even a pledge to tithe a tenth of his wealth, whatever he might obtain while he was gone. If it would have merely been the bread to eat and the clothing to put on his back, and he gave a tenth of what the Lord had given him, even if it was a meager amount, that doesn't matter to God. It's the attitude of the heart as we give to the Lord. Remember the widow and her two mites and the Lord Jesus watching. And I find it amazing in Luke's gospel, the Lord Jesus sitting and watching as people were giving their offerings and the wealthy coming and giving of their excess. And then the widow coming and giving her two mites. Jesus saying to his disciples that she had given more than the rest, more than them all, because she gave from her sustenance. She gave trusting in God's provision. So it's not a matter of how much wealth Jacob acquired while he was gone, the pledge that he had made, that vow that he had made to the Lord. The Lord said, now it's time to return. The importance of keeping our word to God is recorded also in Deuteronomy 23, verses 21 through 23. And this would be in the Mosaic Law where Moses said, When you make a vow to the Lord, your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it would be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin to you. That which has gone from your lips, you shall keep and perform, for you voluntarily vowed to the Lord, your God, what you have promised with your mouth. So the promises we make, God said here in Deuteronomy, Jesus would say the same thing in his day. In fact, Jesus would say 
let your yes be yes and your no be no any more than this could be sin to you. So keep it simple. And even here in Deuteronomy, it's not sin if you don't make a promise to God. But if you make the promise, you need to keep the promise. God's reminding Jacob, you made a promise. Now fulfill your promise. And even though Esau was awaiting him, God said, return and I will be with you. So Jacob makes his plan of escape in verses 17 through 35. Again, I'll read many of these verses, but not all of the verses. Then Jacob arose, verse 17 through 21. Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. And he carried away all of his livestock, all his possessions, which he had gained, his acquired livestock, which he had gained in Padan Aram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear a sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. I guess if you're fleeing away, you probably don't announce it. So he fled. With all that he had, he arose and crossed the river, and he headed toward the mountains of Gilead. So it was while Laban, he made his plans, while Laban was shearing his sheep. Remember, he was not without wealth, even though the brothers were despising Jacob at this time, the brother-in-laws, because they felt that Jacob had stolen his father's wealth and actually their future wealth, right? As soon as dad would pass away, it would be theirs. So they're looking for their future. But unbeknown to Jacob, Rachel had also stolen her father's idols. And Rachel's thievery would give Laban justification to pursue Jacob. It was a week and a half before Laban caught up with Jacob. And the night before Laban faced Jacob, God came to Laban in a dream, basically told him, if you harm Jacob or anything that belongs to him, you're a dead man. And so in verse 25, we learn Laban overtook Jacob. And now Jacob had pitched his tent in the mountains and Laban with his brethren pitched in the mountains of Gilead. So a quick survey of a Bible map shows that the mountains of Gilead is on the east side of the Jordan River. We're getting right into the borders of the Promised Land. On the east side of the Jordan River, today modern-day Jordan, but in between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. In other words, by the time Laban caught up to Jacob, he really was getting close to home. Jacob was getting close to home. So verse 26, and we're going to go down through 32. Laban said to Jacob, what have you done that you have stolen away unknown to me and carried away my daughters like captives taken with the sword? Why did you flee away secretly and steal away from me and not tell me? For I might have sent you away with joy and songs with timbrel and harp. I pause there because it says, I might have sent you away with joy. He wasn't going to do that. 
but he's acting like he would have. And you did not allow me to kiss my sons and my daughters. Now I understand that as a father and a grandfather. Now you have done foolishly in so doing. It is in my power to do you harm, but God, the God of your father, spoke to me last night saying, Be careful that you speak to Jacob neither good or bad. Now you have surely gone because you greatly longed for your father's house, but why did you steal my gods? Then Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I said, Perhaps you would take your daughters from me by force with whomever you find your gods. Do not let them live in the presence of our brother and identify what I have of yours and take it with you. For Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So not knowing that his beloved Rachel had actually taken her father's idols, Jacob allowed Laban to search for his own property among the stuff that belonged to Jacob. He said, whatever you find that belongs to you, take and do so in the sight of your brethren. And whoever has stolen these false idols, then take their life as well. Thankfully, God watched over Jacob and did not allow Laban's idols to be discovered. Now, the fact that these idols remained with Jacob and in his household is not a good thing. It actually teaches us that Rachel, although she had been married for Jacob for, at this point, 13 years, somewhere around there, she still is clinging to the idols of her father. She had not yet allowed the God of Jacob to become her God. So this was not a good thing. So Laban went on his search, and we pick up in verse 33 through 35. It says, And Laban went into Jacob's tent, into Leah's tent, into the two maids' tent. But he did not find them. Then he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household idols and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. And Laban searched all about the tent, but did not find them. So she deceived her father in this way. She said to her father, verse 35, Let it not displease you, my Lord, that I cannot rise before you, for the manner of women is with me. And he searched, but did not find the household idols. And so she claimed, as a woman, it's that time of the month, and I can't rise right now. And Laban said, that's fine. And, you know, who knows? We know that Rachel was Jacob's favorite wife. Perhaps Rachel was Laban's favorite daughter. We're not told this, but it could be. But she got away with it. These six years that they've been building this wealth, again, their time of their marriage, maybe up to 13 years by this time, and yet Rachel had not yet made Jacob's God her God. It's one of the reasons the Bible tells us that we're not to be unequally yoked with one another. And there's so many that couples getting married and one a believer and one not being a believer. And they think that the believer always thinking that I'll be able to win him, win her to the Lord. They'll come around one day. But 
That doesn't happen often. I believe more often than not, it's the unbeliever who sways the believer to compromise in their faith. So apparently, as we continue on in verses 36 through 42, we'll read here in a moment. Apparently, after serving his father-in-law for 20 years, Jacob had a bit of anger, animosity built up toward his father-in-law. And so he lets him have it. Verse 36, he says, And Jacob was angry and rebuked Laban. And Jacob answered and said to Laban, What is my trespass? What is my sin? And that you have so hotly pursued me. And although you have searched all my things, what part of your household things have you found? Set it here before my brethren and your brethren, that they may judge between us both. Then these 20 years I have been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried their young, and I have not eaten the rams of your flock. That which was torn by beast, I did not bring it to you. I bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. In the day, the drought consumed me, and frost by night, my sleep departed from my eyes. Thus I have been in your house twenty years. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, And you have changed my wages ten times. And here's the acknowledgement in verse 42. Unless the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had been with me, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God has seen my affliction and the labors of my hands and rebuked you last night. So the recognition that God was in all this, watching over, Jacob during this time, but we learned that Jacob had went through a lot and he suffered loss, even though his father-in-law felt that Jacob had stolen his wealth. Jacob had worked hard for 20 years for him. And with the agreed upon wages, God blessed Jacob more than Laban. So the chapter closes out with Jacob offering sacrifices and having a farewell meal with Laban and his sons. But it it comes about in this fashion. So Laban, verse 43, answered and said, These are my daughters. These children are my children. This flock is my flock. All that you see is mine, but what can I do this day? And to these my daughters and to their children who they have borne. Now, therefore, come, let us make a covenant, you and I, and let us be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone, set it up as a pillar. Then Jacob said to his brethren, gather stones. And so these stones became witnesses as they clustered them together and piled them in a heap. And there they ate at that place. Galid is what Jacob called it. And Laban said, verse 48, this heap is a witness between you and me this day. Therefore, its name was called Galid. And also, verse 49, Mizpah, because he said, may the Lord watch between you and me when we are absent from one another. Verse 50, if you afflict my daughters 
or if you take other wives besides my daughters, although no man is with us, see, God is witness between you and me. So there they piled this heap of stones and they made this covenant with one another. The stones became a witness for them, a marker in their lives. They could, I guess, go back and look at them at one point or maybe Jacob could take his sons to be a witness of it. Or maybe the sons, as they grew up and dad then passed away, they would have these stones as a witness to their family. Of course, ultimately we know that they would end up in the land of Egypt far from this place. So we find that there's at least some communion toward the end. They have this farewell meal together with Laban and his sons. And it's good to see that this chapter ends with a family coming together for communion. Yet we find the story of Mitzvah not so romantic. But concerning the vows, Jacob had made a covenant with the Lord. He promised the Lord. And we find the Lord Jesus saying in Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Again, you have heard it said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven or by God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes, your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So Jesus saying, you don't have to make these promises to God. In fact, the Lord's counsel was, just let your yes be yes, your no, no. It's safer that way. Notice that swearing falsely, performing your oaths, they're both directed toward God. We are to let our words stand, whether yes or no. We're to let them stand, and we're not to give the devil a foothold in our lives. James said in James 5.12, but above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. So James picks up on the words of the Lord and repeats basically the same thing. So we're not to use phrases like, well, may lightning strike me if I'm telling a lie, you know, we're not even to. Say that we're talking about lightning in the earth, but God takes our words serious. Or I'll swear on my father's grave or my mother's grave. Just speak truth and let it stand. If people don't believe us, the issue is not ours, it's theirs. We are to be men and women of the word and those who keep their word. With that being said, if you have made a promise to God, if you made a commitment to God, then it's important, like Jacob, to fulfill the promise, the vow that you have made. And perhaps the Lord is calling you back to your Bethel, a time where you had made a commitment to the Lord. And he desires to renew and refresh that relationship with you. We get to chapter 32, titled this, The Wrestler, took the title from 
Uh, verse 24, the key verse for me in this chapter, then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Although Jacob must have felt comfort knowing that God had kept Laban from harming him. He's thinking, man, I got away from that one. Jacob still had a difficulty ahead of him because he was returning to his country at the word of the Lord. The Lord is the one who said, go back to the land of promise. Go back to your country, chapter 32, verse 9. Return to your country, to your family, and I will deal well with you. So God is the one who is behind all this, telling Jacob to get back to the promised land. And if Jacob had not returned, then he would have been disobeying God. So it was necessary for Jacob to go. Furthermore, with the incident there at Mizpah with his father-in-law Laban, he couldn't go back. He wouldn't be welcomed at Laban's house any longer. So he couldn't go back. And yet, 20 years earlier, his brother Esau had pledged to kill him. He had to go forward, but he did not know what awaited him on his journey. He didn't know if Esau still felt this way, wanting to take Jacob's life. Was his journey toward home going to be a life or death situation? Perhaps these were some of the questions that Jacob had as he journeyed with his family toward the promised land. In verses 1 through 21, I titled this little section, Seeking Favor. And we find in verse 1 that Jacob wrestled with these things as he thought about these things. The angels of God met him. I had to take a double take today as a lot of times we read about the angel of the Lord. But this is plural, more than one. The angels of God met him. And he had this angelic meeting that no doubt was so awesome for Jacob. He named the place Double Camp, not realizing that he had physically been camping there with his family, with all that he had, the wealth that he had. But at the same place, there were angels surrounding him, all around him. And the Bible tells us in Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. In verses 3 through 5, we continue on. It tells us, Then Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, in the country of Edom. And he commanded them, speaking, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. So Jacob didn't want to show up, surprise Esau. Remember, we're going back a few years here. Uh, they didn't have the United States Post Office to deliver mail saying, I'm coming home. Uh, they may have caught a caravan that it might have taken, he might have beat the caravan home to send a message, could have done it that way, couldn't text him, couldn't email him. So he sent his servants ahead to let him know that he was coming. 
as encouraging as double camp must have been for Jacob to have the angels of God minister to him. Jacob was still, verse 7, it says, greatly distressed and afraid. Not wanting to surprise his brother, he sent these messengers to tell Esau that he was coming. And the messengers returned and informed Jacob that Esau was coming to meet him. And he was bringing 400 men. That sounds like a war is coming right now. Jacob could only imagine why Esau would bring 400 men with him. And although God had promised to deal well with him, we read that in verse 9, Jacob still took precautions. He divided his people and the herds into two companies, thinking, verse 8, if Esau comes to one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. So he split up, divided his people and all that he had, thinking if one gets destroyed by Esau, at least the other half would be able to live. And then Jacob confessed in verse 10, confessing to God, he says, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which you have shown your servant. For I have crossed over this Jordan with my staff, and now I have become two companies. So recognizing God's past work in his life, again, I mentioned this earlier, how important it is to rehearse those times in our lives when we know that the Lord was working. Jacob prayed that God would deliver him once again. You know, the past deliverances of God in our lives should give us courage. It should give us courage to face the current circumstances of our lives. Moreover, as Jacob prayed to the Lord concerning the unsurety of the situation, he reminded God of his promises toward him. In verse 12, so he's reminding God, For you said, I will surely treat you well. I will make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitudes. This is another a great reminder for us when we're going through difficult times, challenging times, it's always good to pray the promises of God toward us. For Jacob, it was something that the Lord had promised him and he was able to come back to the Lord and said, you said, now I don't think it was for God's benefit that he did this. Hey God, in case you've forgotten, I just want to remind you I know it's been 20 years, but maybe you have forgotten this, but I just want to remind you what you have said. No, I think when we pray back to the Lord, the promises of the Lord, it gives us courage uh, in our own journey. Not to remind God of his promises, but to remind us of the faithfulness of God toward us, the faithfulness of God toward those who love him. Additionally, once we have prayed, we should take steps to accomplish the things that God has shown us. So Jacob, he prayed to the Lord. He divided his company. He prepared to go forward, even though he did not know what awaited him, except for the fact that Esau and 400 men were also coming toward him. 
So once we know the Lord's will, it's good to take those steps. It reminded me of the time when Lily and I prayed to the Lord, asking whether we should move to California to allow me to attend the School of Ministry at Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa. This was a huge step for us in our lives. The amazing thing is the Lord has given me an amazing wife that supports me in so many ways that she gives me courage, even though I'm the one that waffles a bit. And that year that we were questioning whether we should go to California or not, something would happen and the Lord would do something and maybe I'd question why and Lily would just simply say that's because we're supposed to be in California. I mean, she had already made the determination long before I did. But once we both came in agreement, in agreement with what the Lord was calling us to do as a couple and our family. Once we made that commitment, then we took steps to move. And there was a lot of work to be done. We had a house that was ripped apart. That same year, we'd already, as a, the house was built in 1923, and so it needed a lot of work by that time. It wasn't back in the 1923s when I moved in. So it had been around for a while. It was the mid-80s. We'd actually went to the bank prior to all this to get a loan that we could add on to the house and continue to live there. But there was a point to where it was taking so long for that loan to come through, and I don't know if the banker forgot about it. I think God just had him slip our paperwork out of sight, out of mind. And he took so long, and I called and said, I want to know how it's going and stuff. So we talked, and maybe I kind of jump-started the whole process again. But uh, between the waiting and the phone call back to the banker, there was a point to where Lily and I just made a, had an understanding that we actually made a, a, a target date. If this request is not answered by this date, the Lord has something else in store for us. And he was only off by a few days, but he missed the deadline. And when he called and he said, I got it, I got your loan approved, we're all ready to go, just come in and sign the papers. And I said, well, I'm sorry. I said, we had prayed and we had set a date with the Lord and we feel that God has something else in store for us. So we turned it down. He was shocked. I don't know how hard he worked on it, but he was shocked that we'd even turn it down. And uh, again, there was a lot of work to be done. The house was still a mess. And uh, I worked, oh, if I only had that uh, 32-year-old body once again. I'd go to work, lay brick, come home, work till about 10 or 11, get up and do it all over again. And I was working on the north side of Chicago, so I had drives to do every day and by the time we started that process and I got out to California I lost 30 pounds I weighed 145 pounds I hadn't weighed that since I was in high school but God got us there and it was such a relief once we know what the Lord has called us to do then we should take steps and allow the Lord to Revealed the path. Our steps that we took was to repair the house. Once the house 
It wasn't even finished, and we put it on the market, sold it in one day, and I literally finished the house. I think I was still putting screws in the wall the day that we left, but I had it done, and I promised the buyer. I had a bathroom that was totally ripped apart, two bathrooms in the house. I said, I did the bathroom in the downstairs. The upstairs bathroom will be done when we leave, and she bought it with that promise. You take the steps. And this is why in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God are in him, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. So God has blessed us with precious promises. And as the Lord begins to show us the path of our lives, calls us to certain places, then we should take those steps to accomplish the call of God in our lives. Jacob is taking these steps But he needs to pause here for prayer. And that's also a good thing. Sometimes we might be in the process and we need to just pause and wrestle in prayer to make sure we're on the right path. Sometimes we can take the steps toward what we feel is the promise of God and we might be actually taking steps in the wrong direction. So sometimes it's good to pause for prayer as we find Uh, The wrestler here in verses 22 through 32, verses 22 through 24, the Bible tells us. And he arose that night and took his two wives, his two maidservants, his 11 sons, and crossed over the ford of Jabbok. And he took them and he sent them over the brook and he sent them over what he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. So Jacob sent his family ahead and he stayed where he prayed with the Lord. In fact, the Bible describes it as the Lord coming to him, a man wrestling with him until the break of day. Verse 25 and 26. And when he saw, speaking about the man, speaking about the Lord, When he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip. The socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So Jacob is just in this deep prayer, I think physically wrestling with the angel of the Lord here. So much so that the angel of the Lord puts his hip socket out of joint and Jacob yet he still held on in fact the Bible tells us that he prevailed through his tears and through seeking God's favor in Hosea 12:4, we get a summary of this where it says Hosea 12:4, yes he struggled with the angel and prevailed and wept and sought favor from him he found him in Bethel And there he spoke to us. So God blessed Jacob at this point by giving him a new name, the name Israel. So the angel, the man wrestling with Jacob said, what is your name? He said, hill catcher, deceiver, supplanter. I mean, Jacob was his name. And the angel said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have struggled with God and with men 
and have prevailed. Verse 29, then Jacob asked, saying, tell me your name, I pray. And he said, why is it that you ask me my name? And he blessed him there. Up to this point, Jacob had always been reliant on his ability to run. Got in trouble with his brother, run to Uncle Laban's. Find that the countenance of Uncle Laban and his sons turn against Jacob, run back to Father Isaac. He's always been able to run. But now he emerges from this wrestling match a cripple. From this time forward, he would have to be a man who would have to rely upon the Lord his God. God had broken him, which put Jacob in the best place where he then had to be totally dependent upon God. And sometimes God has to do this to us. He has to break us down before he can build us back up and use us for his glory. So verses 30 through 32, the remainder of this chapter. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. Just as he crossed over Penuel, the sun rose on him and he limped on his hip. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the muscle of the shank, which is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip in the muscle that shrank. So a custom grew out of this because Jacob couldn't walk properly any longer wrestled with God and needed a hip replacement, but they didn't have him back then, so he was just in trouble. Know this, if you ever tried to wrestle with God, and I believe we all have, we can never prevail through our physical strength alone. Like Jacob, the only way to prevail is through our tears and through the favor of God himself. And allowing God to break us In that breaking process, we will discover that it becomes that best place to be a person totally dependent upon Jesus. Some say that the name Israel means Prince of God. Others believe that this Hebrew name means governed by God. Either way works, right? In the New Testament, it says we're a holy generation, a royal priesthood a holy nation as believers in Jesus Christ, but also as believers in Jesus Christ to be people who are governed by God. I remind you again, Hosea 12:4. Yes, he struggled with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought favor toward him. Here on Wednesday evenings, we have a custom of going through the ABCs of salvation. So let's go ahead and stand as we close out tonight. The ABCs of salvation, the A, speaks about admitting, admitting to God that we are sinners and asking for his forgiveness. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But in 1 John 1.9, the Bible promises us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I know that I use 1 John 1, 9, this confessing of our sin, to uh, really talk about the importance of 
coming to faith in Jesus Christ. But we need to also remember that when John wrote that, he was writing to the believers in the church. Even in the church, we can get wayward and we need to come back. We need to come back to Bethel. We need to come back to the house of God and renew our relationship with the Lord. Sometimes that renewal begins with the process of admitting to God that we have sinned and seek his forgiveness. The B is for believe. Believe in the work that Jesus did upon the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, and I like to add his ascension to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father where he is to this day. The Bible tells us in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I love that verse because Paul wrote it in the present tense. We think of Jesus dying upon the cross as a demonstration of God's love, and we look back to the work of Jesus upon the cross. But Paul wrote this verse, Romans 5.8, in present tense, that it's active. It's active to this day. God demonstrates his own love toward us. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The C is for confess. Confess our faith in Jesus Christ. Share that faith with others. The Bible tells us in Romans 9 and 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Hebrews 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Perhaps tonight you're watching through social media, you're listening on the radio, maybe you're listening to this message at a later date, maybe you're here with us tonight. If you're here with us, you need prayer, please um, reach out to me, I'd love to pray with you. But if you have questions, you're listening through social media, through WLGS, please email us here at the church at cclv at comcast.net, cclv at comcast.net. This coming Sunday, we're at Revelation 15, and it's going to be a worship session. Revelation 15, the sign of the seven angels. And Dave, that song about being in the holy temple and being silent, Read verse 8 of Revelation 15. I think it would fit perfect. It's Communion Sunday as well, so I think that's going to play into our worship. Revelation 15 is the shortest chapter in the book of Revelation, only eight verses long. But don't you worry. This preacher knows how to stretch out eight verses. No, it is a beautiful passage for the church there in heaven preparing for the final judgments of God. We'll be looking at that this coming Sunday here at 10 o'clock at the church or through our social media or at WLGS radio. If you'd like to support our ministry, you can do so. Uh, you can just simply go to our church's webpage at cclv.org, find out information about our church. And uh, we appreciate both the prayers and the financial gifts given to this ministry. Uh, God continues to bless us. He has allowed this church 
since we acquired this building back in 1992 to continue to serve this community all these years. What a blessing it has been to be part of that journey. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your work. We thank you, Father, for your great love that you bestowed toward us. Tonight, Lord, we learned of Jacob making his way back to the promised land. And he's still in the middle of the journey. We'll read more about that next week as we continue on in the book of Genesis. But tonight, Lord, we learned a couple of important things. The first, I would say, to be obedient to your word when you instruct us to do something. Lord, Jacob was told to return to the land, and it would have been sin to him if he refused to go. So I believe, Lord, the same is true for us. Lord, if you instruct us in a right way, help us, Lord, to take steps in that journey. Also, Lord, we learn the importance and the value of when we're taking the steps of the journey to sometimes wait, wrestle, and pray. Lord, we could be going down a wrong path. Sometimes we need to wrestle over these things in prayer. May it be, Lord, that we also would be a people that is touched by God in such a way that we could be considered men and women who are governed by God. It is my prayer for us this evening. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I pray that God would bless you and keep you, that his face would always shine upon you and give you peace. God bless.